0: Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Finsider Radio, it's Wednesday night, uh, new night and time for us here, so uh, it's uh, really good to be back, actually. Um, I, it's been a little while since I've been able to do this show. I've had so many things come up over the the last couple of weeks, but I'm happy to report we are back. I'm fairly certain this is going to be our new night and well, not necessarily our time. Usually we go a little bit later uh, in the evening. Um, but for now, we're uh, we're live at 8 p.m. Eastern. So um, a lot to talk about uh, one week into the NFL season. we got week two coming up. Uh, a lot of disappointed Dolphins fans following a victory in Washington last Sunday, even though it really didn't play out the way everyone had hoped with all that hype and uh, expectations going into the, um, the 2015 season. Uh, we'll get more into that. Uh, our, my good co-host uh, Duke will join us. I think he's on around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, he's got some stuff he's got to take care of um, before he's able to hop on with us. Um, I was actually expecting Lewis too. I don't know where he is, so um, is quickly turning in one of those wings World things where uh, it's just me for the, the time being, that's all right, too. We can go ahead and uh, discuss a couple of things. Our guest call-in line is already open. Number 4 is that is 347-326-9461. You can give me a call starting right now, actually. You typically wait for, uh, about 10 or 15 minutes into the show before we start with that, but why not? Things are wide open tonight, so go ahead and give me a call. We'll talk about whatever it is you want to talk about going on with the Miami Dolphins heading into week two, uh, really an important matchup with the Jacksonville Jaguars. if for no other reason, then to sort of write some of the flaws that we saw last week from the team. Um, I certainly expect a, a lot of, I expected a lot of jitters in Washington. I didn't think things were going to go smoothly. Uh, I didn't think that it would look as rough for, really uh, nearly three-quarters as it did. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is Washington's front seven is outstanding. Ryan Kerrigan is an excellent player. Trent Murphy, too. And then he had Terrence Knighton in the mm-hmm. middle, which is really impressive as well. So it's not like that front seven was chopped liver. That's one of the better units you'll see in the, in the National Football League. Unfortunately for Washington, that's pretty much all they have right now. When you consider the Dolphins' overall performance last Sunday – uh, left a lot to be desired. We'll talk more about that. I'm fairly certain that we were just joined by Lewis. What's going on?
1: Uh, not much. I had, didn't even, Nobody told me what time the show was, so I had to, like, oh, oh okay, show's on.
0: Let's go. Uh, don't sweat it. It's kind of an impromptu thing. I feel bad, too, because typically we do this show around 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 my time, and uh, I just found out that Duke isn't able to do it until 8.30, so we're kind of... Um, doing things on the fly. It's not a big deal, though. I hope to get about 75 minutes on air tonight. Schedule's still a little bit tight, but there's a lot to talk about. And uh, I wanted to touch base with everyone uh, going into week two, just because we weren't able to really connect at the end of the preseason. Before we get to you, I'll ask you a couple questions that I have about last week's performance. Um, Let's focus on a couple of the positives that came out of Sunday, number one is the fact that Jarvis Landry looks even better than he did last year, and he looked incredibly impressive at the end of last season, and he just took, I mean, he just hit the ground running on Sunday. I mean, he was unquestionably the best player on the field on offense for the Dolphins, which is a little bit concerning when you think about the fact that that should be Ryan Tannehill. Not his best game, not an awful game either. Uh, there was a point during that contest where you could tell he wasn't uh, – he wasn't going through his reads patiently and at a comfortable tempo. Like, he looked a little bit shaky. I'm a little bit of that due to the fact that uh, Washington's pass rush looked pretty good at times on Sunday. Uh, I'm certainly not going to hold it against him. I'm certainly not going to beat him up the way that a lot of Dolphins fans have this week, uh, and the same way that they've beaten up in Dominick and Sue. I don't really understand uh, why people are upset about – what Dominican suit did on Sunday. He was double-teamed the entire game if he wasn't getting uh, the uh, the cut blocks from Brandon Scherf. Um, I just... I mean, you're going to have to expect that from him. The The real drag with what happened with the Dolphins' defense on Sunday is, number one, the fact that the linebackers didn't look very good, in my opinion, especially in space. I thought they were lacking in that regard. Number two is the fact that losing Olivier Vernon early on, I think, really hurt, too. I thought that he, that... Cassroach was really getting ready to heat up, and especially when you're commanding that much attention in the middle. Disappointed to lose somebody like that coming off the edge. So that was that was disappointing. But uh, I was fine with Endomicans too. It was it his best performance ever. No, all right. Can you expect much more from him with his team? Of course. That's why he's making 114 million dollars to come play down here. I mean, you're going to see uh, just that ability to command constant double teams. Uh, an ability to split those double teams, not all the time, but often enough where I mean, it's going to keep uh, opposing or offensive lines honest. Anyone who's lined up across from him. Uh, the one positive I wanted to mention with this is uh, Jordan Phillips. In my opinion, looks like he's ready to contribute. I uh, mean, he steps in there and just throws down that swim move last uh, last Sunday early on in that game, and pretty much just I mean, Kirk Cousins had no idea, no choice but to hit the deck when he saw that pass rush come up the middle. So, uh, Phillips is a rookie. I understand that uh, Earl Mitchell is going to get the majority of looks um, next to Dominican Sue right now, and that makes sense. I think Earl Mitchell looked incredible in the preseason. I expect big things from him this year. But Jordan Phillips looks like he might have been a steal in the second round instead of a reach as some people or had them out to be when the Dolphins made that selection uh, in the second round of the most recent draft. What did you, what did you think last Sunday? Does I mean, the overall effort, I mean, your disappointments, the stuff that you, the pauses you took away from that game, your overall feeling walking away from that, that victory in Washington.
1: I guess if I have to take away any sort of positive, it's that simply we won. I mean, there were a lot of instances last year where a game like that, it would wind up being close, we're almost there, we're just just inches away, and then it would get taken away from us by something stupid that the Dolphins did or by some miracle that the other team managed to pull off, a.k.a. Detroit, and pulling off a miracle at the end. So simply the fact that we found a way to win and we can thank Jarvis Landry for that big time because if he doesn't make that punt return touchdown, I honestly don't know if we're talking about a victory this le- this week. So um, the positives, Jarvis Landry is going to be the top target, so that's good for my fantasy team and for the Dolphins as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, you
0: have to throw the fantasy team in there. That's kind of a thing now. I like Jarvis um, in, in both mm-hmm. leagues, and he buried me. Both of my fantasy opponents had Jarvis Landry this week, but I mean, I'm obviously gonna take the Dolphins' victory over that. But uh, it was a little bit bittersweet. Yeah, it's, it's never it's never fun to lose
1: personally either. I I picked I I paired Tannehill and Landry in all of my leagues just to like mess with people. Anyway, um, positive Jarvis Landry. Other positive would be that the secondary is doing pretty good, even though they don't currently have this expected lineup that everybody was hoping for. We were all hoping that Jamar Taylor would wind up on the boundary and Bryce McCain is in the nickel, and then you would hope that um, Louis Delmas had stayed healthy, and that broke my heart to see him go down when I was in uh, Carolina. That 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 was horrible for me to watch because I know the guy. I like him a lot. I wish he was okay. But the secondary did a pretty good job. Grimes doing his usual thing, picking off, making jump, jumping routes. That was awesome to see that he still got it. And then you see Bryce McCain leaping up and making a miracle interception. You see Rashad Jones running from all the way across the field to stop a Jordan Reed a would be Jordan Reed touchdown. And he made a one mistake. He made he fell backwards in the end zone. There was no offensive pass interference there. That was just Rashad Jones not doing well. But the secondary as a whole, including Jamar Taylor, if you wanna remove the if you wanna even if with those two penalties that he messed up on, it's still a really good thing to see that the secondary is doing well without an expected lineup of improvement and all that stuff. They're still doing well. And the defensive line, eh, I don't know what happened to them. Cameron Wake, Wake and and um, Sue and all those guys, they were having an impact. It was just not visible enough. Sue was getting double teamed and cut blocked, like you said, Keith, like every single play. Then you have Wake getting held all the time. They finally call the holding penalty. Uh, against his uh, blocker, hallelujah, just when we thought we'd never see it. And then o v is getting uh, sweep, sweep the leg on, on him, so he can't play anymore. So it's like every single person that is on our line has something horrible happen to them that kept them from having the amazing impact we were expecting. I think what it also might be is that um, – Andrew Abramson at training camp, he warned me. He said, don't sleep on the Redskins, especially since it's opening weekend. They're going to be fighting hard. They're going to want to prove that they can do this this year. They're in front of their home crowd. It's the opening of the season. And I tried to shrug it off. I was like, nah, it's it's, it's Washington. I'm not even remotely worried. And I guess they gave us reason to worry because they came out and they did what they were going to do. They balled out for the most part. And even that, you have to admit, is – significant on the fact that the Dolphins' defense managed to hold them to only 10 points because by the way they looked in the game, you'd think they were supposed to score 24 points. So just that in itself is a plus because even as bad as they looked, they still only gave up 10 points.
0: Yeah. Um, One thing I I do want to mention that I, I don't understand why this is a big deal outside of the fact that some people are just, especially on social media, some people are just complete idiots. Um, everyone made sense. So I knew when that whole Alfred Morris helmet thing happened with the Dom that somebody was going to make a big deal out of it. I didn't realize it was going to become that big of a deal on Twitter. It was. Um, that wasn't even the dirtiest play in that game. That leg whip on Olivier Vernon, far dirtier in my opinion. Uh, and the fact that so many people spent time talking about Indiana Dominick Sue Morris. Did he or did he not try to take off his helmet with his foot? Whatever. No one was talking about what Pac-Man Jones did in Oakland when he pretty much Elkabond uh, Amari Cooper's head right off of his helmet while it was off. That was the dirtiest play I have seen in years. And I've seen guys get kicked in the groin. I've seen players get their legs stepped on. Outside of probably the um the Elder Hainsworth walking on uh Andre Gerard's head in two thousand six when his helmet was off, that play in Oakland between Pac Man Jones and Omari Cooper probably the dirtiest thing I've seen. That was bad. So I get up on Monday morning and I see that everyone wants to talk about it and Donovan Sue. You know, did he was that a dirty play? Was he trying to take his helmet off? Who cares? That's not even going to be the worst thing And Dominican Sioux does this year. I'm sorry to say, that guy, I mean, that's how he does. He plays on the edge. You're not going to like everything that uh, that guy does on the field. A lot of it, I think, is uh, a mental intimidation game that he plays with other teams. And as long as it's not over the top, I really don't have a problem with it. What happened in Oakland, I do have a problem with, though. And I have an problem with What's that? What happened in Oakland? What happened in Oakland was
1: actually a problem. People want to look at Andamooka Sue, know his reputation, and find even the smallest thing that he could even remotely be interpreted as something bad, and try to make a story out of it because that's easy clicks. That's called clickbait. It's the it's the age old journalism trick nowadays. It's like let's get, let's come up with a controversial headline, see if we can find even the smallest thing possible, and let's make a story out of it. He didn't kick the guy. Like, if, if they, if he had at least actually kicked him, then maybe they would have a cage. But he stepped past him and his helmet fell off. So like, come on, give me a break.
0: I hey, agree. Duke, what do you think? Hello, caller. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Yes, can you hear me? I can. What's going on? Ah, uh, not much. We're talking about Ndamukong Suh. I don't think it was dirty. Obviously, we're homers here. Although I think that if it was a dirty play, I, I think we're objective enough on this show to at least call it what it was, what it is, what it was. I didn't think it was dirty at all. I thought it was purely incidental. And, of course, the uh, football media takes it and runs with it. It, it. I realize that Ndamukong has done dirty things on the football field. I realize that the guy plays on the edge. He is not a nice person to play against. But the football media would have you think that the guy is some sort of sports sociopath, which I don't really understand.
2: Yeah, it was it, it, it was a non-story in my opinion. he it, He's it, walking by the guy. If anything, Morris kind of rolled into him and got his helmet knocked off. The uh, Pac-Man Jones thing was borderline assault. Uh, I don't know what you. Uh, I don't know what the deal with him Duncan 2 was. Somebody trying to make something out of something. Just what, how is you. Pac-Man Jones
0: not suspended for that? He got a fine. I saw that that was, became official today. How is that not a suspension?
2: He uh, you not know, the NFL does anymore. Uh, you suspend somebody, then they're going to appeal because, you know, Brady did. Yeah, I don't know if
0: that's just a... Uh, a byproduct of, of what they just went through in court with with Tom Brady, but what I what I saw in Oakland and I saw that live because I, I was over at my parents' house and they had that game on and I was just absolutely blown away. One of those things where you think, "Am I really seeing this? Did that actually just happen?" And it did. And of course, it's Pac-Man Jones. So I mean, that's just, that's rough if you're Amari Cooper and that's your first game as an NFL player. And and your your own well. Helmet is used as a weapon against you.
2: I think the worst part of the whole situation with Ndamukong Consu was uh, Heath Evans blowing a gasket over the whole thing. Um, I mean, the guy uh, barely knocked off a dude's helmet. He says that deserves a four-game suspension. Yeah, I'm sure, I I don't listen to the idiot, but I'm sure he, he defended Brady numerous times because he's a Patriots homer. And he attempted to actually cheat the game. He affected the integrity of the game. I don't care if it's half a psi. The dude tried to cheat something. It's called character. Uh, it, it's like I heard some some one say sometime, long time ago, that character is character and integrity is what you do when you come to a stoplight and no one's around. Uh, that shows what what you really are inside. I don't, I don't care what. Brady did, how much or how little it affected everything. The fact is he and the Patriots tried to cheat to get an advantage. And that's what they're going to be known as forever. I don't care what anyone says, they're always going to have an asterisk by everything they ever do. So, as like I said, you get that kind of stuff overturned in court, and a guy walks by and knocks a helmet off during a football game, and that's a four-game suspension. Get out of here with that mess. That's that's some borderline nonsense. If anything, if I'm Roger Goodell, I listen to guys like Steve Young and Heath Evans talk, and I get scared worrying about this concussion. Because you can tell those dudes have some brain damage.
0: Heath Evans is just an uh, incredible moron. And I, frankly, I, I wish I I was love Sam. Mad- then- I
1: love Sam Madison's tweets. I love Sam Madison's tweet. And I really did not expect that from Sam. I mean, I know Sam doesn't mind talking, but that was a very... Um, very uh, controversial tweet that he put out there basically saying he wished that Heath Evans
0: never put on a dolphin's uniform. And oh.
1: apparently he appa- what? I'm
0: just not you laughing. didn't see that tweet? tweet? No, I didn't.
1: Sam Sam Madison that. tweeted a couple of days ago that he was pretty much he was essentially he was disgraced that Heath Evans had ever put on a dolphin's uniform. He was one sided and he's a soft individual. 'Cause he's essentially being a hypocrite, like like uh, like I was being said, um he, for Brady his he'll have no he has no issue defending him, but for something that was literally a non story, he wants he's calling for Sue to be suspended for four games. And apparently he uh Heath replied and said something along the lines of, You would know, Sam, I was tough to play it was tough to play against you, hope you're doing well. So apparently Heath took the high road and now Sam is the one who comes out looking like an ass. So
0: no, not, no, not you to, know any well, it's not to, not to anyone in the know, no the Sam comes out on on top of that every time. look, we haven't talked about the Gate on this on this show too often just because I mean, I mean you can get that you can get all of the the comments and opinions on it elsewhere. You can literally find any other uh, commentary on it outside of this show, so we haven't spent too much time talking about it, but here's the thing if it's not if it's not a big deal then why did the Patriots go through so much trouble to run off their ball boy to the bathroom to deflate these footballs? Even if it's just the most minute uh, amount of PSI per football, you are going through a lot of effort to get that done. Okay, so that's my issue. I mean, I understand it's not that much air in the football, and that's fine, whatever. Uh, the other thing that amused me about, he, about Heath Evans is he he came out and he was pretty much calling Endemic and Sue a bully. Which is funny because that's probably how I would describe Heath Evans. Heath Evans is like the human form of having the cat's lock on. Just all the time. Just billowing a bunch of crap. And just puts it all out there. And typically he's ranting against this team. Which is strange. Because I know he hates Nick Saban. But it's weird that he wants to take us down with it all the time. So I mean, whatever. his, His opinions are irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. And I love the fact that Sam stood up for the team, which is something that doesn't surprise me. I would expect that from him. But, I mean, Keith Evans is a dick. I don't really care what he has to say. Uh, I didn't think the play was dirty. I think that there was plenty of other stuff that went on around the league this week that that warranted actual attention uh, and investigation. And I didn't see a lot of that. Uh, Case in point the fact that they just suspended Pac-Man Jones for, for assaulting Amari Cooper, and that's what that is. If a kid in a Pop Warner game did what Pacman Jones did last Sunday, that kid would not play the rest of the year. He'd be out. If a kid did that in a high school game, he'd probably get arrested because that's assault. You can't do that to someone. Okay, there's something if it's done between oh, the whistles and his actual football play. That's just thuggery right there. All right, so the fact that that guy's going to walk away from that with just a suspension is absolutely mind blowing. I am just extremely confused by that. And, I mean, it is what it is, whatever. But he said. Well, at
1: this point, Keith, at this point, it's not like the commissioner can do much of anything because I've recently been hearing all this uh, talk about how this suspension has been lifted and this suspension has been lifted. The, the results of deflate gate basically made it so that Roger Goodell literally has no power left.
0: Tom well, Brady's, to victory
1: in, Brady's victory in court made the, made the CBA a moot point. The CBA no longer exists. If any player decides that, well, I don't like what the NFL told me, they can take it to court and let Ben sort it out. They opened the floodgates for a big mess. Yeah.
2: Well, they what's going to happen change. with that? What's going to happen with, most certainly with that is they're going to bring something else into the collective bargaining agreement. I don't think the... I don't think the problem is that Goodell leveled the the punishment. I think it was that it's kind of like he's just kind of doling it out as he sees fit, and there's no there's no kind of rhyme or reason to it. You know, first there was a Ray Rice deal; he got two games, and then, oh, there's this video that comes out shows him hitting a woman, and now he's suspended forever or whatever. And then uh, you know, this it's just kind of like, well, I'm just going to throw out what I see fit. And I think what's going to happen is they're going to they're going to look at this and they're going to amend or do whatever they need to do to say this is what's going to happen for uh off the field stuff if if you do things on the field uh you know you've got rules for that if you've got if it's drugs uh you know performance enhancing stuff whatever recreational drugs you get this punishment if you get uh if you it's domestic dispute or some kind of get arrested for whatever, you're going to get this kind of stuff. If a team cheats or somehow otherwise tries to bend the rules to their favor, they're going to get this punishment. And I think once you get that, then it doesn't matter anymore because then, you know, the players are probably not want to sign off on that, but at some point you have to say, oh, this, you know, you can't just be lawless because if you – if Goodell says, all right, you, you know, you went out here and – uh Punched a couple of women in in some nightclub. I'm going to suspend you, you know, ten games for that. And he goes to court and I say, well, you know, somebody else only got eight games or something. That's the problem. If they've got a rule book there that says, all right, well, you this happens the first time, you know, you're getting this. It's eventually going to have to come down to that. And I don't know if they have to wait until the new CB that new CBA is up, or if they have to if there's a way to add an amendment to it or something like that. But that's what's going to ultimately come from this, I believe.
1: My guess is they wait mm-hmm. until the new CBA is out. And and let me just ask this question because it it, it, it it bothers me that we have to have like a set rule for everything. So we've never heard anything like a deflate gate before. We've never heard about how, oh, well, you know, the Patriots deflated the footballs and gave themselves an advantage. That's something that's so specific. That's, that's not even like spy cameras and stuff like that for Spygate. That's just some stupid little thing. And yet, it still happened. It's still cheating, no matter how small or insignificant factor it is. The simple fact is they still cheated. So, if there's nothing in the CBA that says, here's how you discipline that, then who is in charge of making sure that it doesn't go unpunished? Or do they just leave it unpunished? Because if I'm Roger Goodell, or if I'm anybody in charge of handing down punishment, I am not going, even if it's a little thing, just a little whatever, I can't just let it go especially considering the Patriots are past defenders. It's not like it's a first-time offense. It's, they've been caught many, many, many times before. It's not the first time. So you can't just leave it alone. So what was he supposed to do? It's a to
0: loophole. Do? That's the thing. It's a loophole. And I guarantee you that the, they go ahead and they, they target areas or they exploit areas in the CBA that they can get away with. I mean, case in point, you just brought it, brought it up yourself because there's nothing specifically defined in the CBA regarding – what they did with the with uh, with that act, so that's the problem. And I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen if you're going to if you're going to see some sort of amendment, or if they're just going to bring it out with the next CDA. I don't know. And personally, I almost don't want to think about it because that's maddening unto itself. Uh, let's go ahead and transition a little bit here. We'll talk about. Let's do some quick hits. I'm just going to ask you guys. Just give me some short answers, real short answers. About I'm going to ask you about certain uh, areas of the team tell me how you think they did last Sunday and tell me how, if you think they'll improve going forward. You, might, you guys want to try this? Of course We'll, you we'll,
1: we'll give it a shot.
0: Uh, all right. Uh, Duke, uh, what did you think about the offensive line on Sunday?
2: They were okay. Um, I think Albert showed some rust. Dallas Thomas had his moments. Um, but for the most part, they weren't, they weren't terrible. Um, they can improve, but they were they were sufficient for that game. They need to get better, but they were sufficient. I for, yeah, you know, I agree. They um, get out
0: get out get out front a few times.
2: Yeah, it was fun watching Jamil Douglas running, you know, twenty yards downfield blocking for Miller or whoever it happened to be. Uh uh, you know, I, I said <laughs> earlier in the earlier in the off season that he would start, I never expected he would start at right guard, but uh Either way, it's just you know, he uh for a rookie playing his first game he was out there and um you know he was he was busting some heads at uh, the legal time so um, that was that was good to see. So that that's that's okay. promising going forward because that's that's right now that's four offensive line spots that you, you could consider uh taking care of.
0: All right, real quick, what'd you think, Lewis?
1: Um, I gotta agree with Duke here. I mean, uh Albert was rusty, obviously. There was one play where he wound up getting caught and that was what uh I believe that was what started the uh the long uh fumble that went thirty yards down the field before somebody finally jumped on it. Um, Albert let his guy get by. Dallas Thomas wound up pretty much blocking two people so that wasn't gonna go over well. So and some people looked at Dallas Thomas when that happened, and I and I was tending to agree because who am I to look at Brandon Albert and say he messed up? But upon the film review, it was actually Albert that messed up, and I'm like, oh, didn't see that coming. So Albert obviously is still rusty; He's still got some work to do. He's out of shape. He recently he said um, after the he said the day after the game that he felt like he got hit by a Mack truck. So obviously he he still got some he still got uh, some working out to do. So he gets back into the that pro bowler shape that he was in last year. But even at 75%, I would say Brandon Albert is better than Fox or Lincoln box. And so we're definitely not going to leave him out of the game. Douglas and Uh Ponce make an awesome team in the run blocking game. I was really happy to see him and Douglas uh, running up the field with Lamar Miller, just doing what it is they do. I mean, it, it, it was, it was fun to watch once they finally started getting the running game going. And then Jawan James, he had his moments as well. He had a few issues here and there. And um, the only one who was really questionable, really, again, was Dallas Thomas. But even then, it wasn't wasn't like he was getting beat down on every play like he was last year. He's actually doing pretty well given the circumstances, and he's actually doing pretty well, um, especially compared to what he was doing last year, which was absolutely horrible. So I'm encouraged. Some people are not so happy with Dallas Thomas, but I'm personally not seeing any issue with it. What when things start did start going wrong it was probably it was a lot of it happened when Linkenbach happened to be in there for that like one play. Like Lincolnbach went in the game and then one play later he Tannehill got sacked, so I don't think that's a uh, coincidence. So, no, so like, over,
2: actually blocked his guy pretty well on that one. I think it was a uh, a guy came off the edge. It wasn't a, a defensive end. I believe it was either a corner, or a safety, or someone, and kind of got inside of Juwan James a little bit, and that kind of flushed Tannehill in, into a situation he didn't want to be into. But uh, overall, for me, I looked at it in terms of pressure. I, I don't. I didn't think Tannehill was under pressure a lot. He got sacked three times uh, on some. Basically, this one I think he held the ball a little too long. Um, the other two just were kind of just collapses by the line. But for the most part, he wasn't under duress like last season or the season before. I think last season, he was nearly 40% of the time he was under pressure. That's two out of every five snaps, and I it didn't feel that way against Washington. I didn't sit there like, man, this offensive line's awful. He was having to run for his life every time. No, it looked like he had clean pockets most of the time, so uh, that that was promising.
0: All right. Remember, short answers, gentlemen, short answers.
2: <laughs> uh, you sorry. saw a kind of strategy
0: last Sunday, you should be, sorry, uh, where um they didn't really run Lamar Miller until the second half, until they they thought that they had worn down that Redskins front seven a little bit. What did you think of that?
1: I didn't like it at all. It's like you have to have a balance in the offense otherwise it's not going to work out. Oh well, in the first half, like here okay, here's how it worked. They passed on the first play and then they ran the ball two times and went three and out. And after that, that was pretty much the end of the running game for a long time, and that I have an issue with that. That's, that's poor play calling, if you're going to ask me something like that, because you can't give up on the running game that quickly, and especially you can't use the running game when you saw – if you saw you got stuck on the run before and it's third down, just thinking common sense, I'm going to throw the football because there's more of a chance to get six yards or whatever throwing a little dink and dunk pass to get the 6 yards rather than trying to do Lamar Miller again. You run the ball on first and second down because you have and you have an opportunity to get those tough yards once that's once you It's it okay. Yeah. I'm very tired. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm here because I, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. So I'm here to hang out. But Oh. The running I, game, I appreciate that you guys are my guys. I got to hang. We're the three Musketeers, right? So we got to stick together.
0: So we got to find a fourth one. It would be Kevin, except he's absent. Kevin Sartanian. Yeah, Uh, he has to show up. Exactly. I like it. Uh, Here's the thing. I I, want to expand on something Lewis just said, because I I agree. Uh, And I thought that it was really detrimental to Ryan Tannehill's game on Sunday when they took away a lot of the, the running plays in the first half. You could tell he was – because there is a – I'll use that that series after the Grimes interception when it was really just a mess for the offense deep in uh, Redskins' territory. You could tell that Tannehill was just trying to do too much. And I think a part of the reason for that is he felt handcuffed by the fact that they weren't running an orthodox running game at that point. It's like having a one-legged guy in an ass-kicking contest at that point. It's not going to work. And I mean, all of a sudden you see him he's trying to make these these uh naked bootleg throws to I mean, to while he's running to his left. And I mean that's a tough throw to make and it ended with you know Deion Sims unfortunately getting injured, but I just felt that it put way too much unnecessary pressure on Ryan Tannehill. And I understand that he's a big boy now. You know, he's going into his fourth season. It's supposed to be something he's able to handle. I get that. But why put him in that position if you don't have to? Especially when you have a, a bell cow sized back now like Lamar Miller. Like, what are you doing? So that was an issue. What did you think, Duke? I don't think we talked to you about this yet.
2: Um, yeah, there needs to be more balance. Uh, and I want to see some draw plays. I don't think we do that very often. Um, you can do that from the shotgun. You can do it from however, but, um, we you know, we run a pass, Pass-heavy or pass-oriented offense, uh, you know, run or draw play every now and then. Uh, it works for, uh, worked for a lot of other teams this week. So you gotta. Yeah, yeah I uh, agree. There just needs to be more balance.
0: Uh, so I did that that five questions thing with um, I, I think the the blog is Hog the Washington <clears> Redskins <throat> guy. Just because Kevin was un, unable to do it. He was un- He was unavailable late last week, and he asked me if I wanted to go ahead and do it. I didn't have a lot of time to send over some questions, but uh, I managed to to get it done. And I got a lot of tweets over the weekend. Cause a lot of people were pissed off about what Hogs Haven said, uh, specifically about our receivers. I think the comment was that uh, Dolphins fans are too high on their receiver core right now. It's really not that good. Jarvis Landry's good. The rest of them pretty much suck, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then, I mean, so this game starts on on Sunday. And even with Tannehill having a, a pretty mediocre game by his standards, I thought the thing that jumped out almost immediately is Jordan Cameron is a matchup nightmare all over the place. And I understand that Washington doesn't necessarily have the personnel to, to snuff him out anyway uh, from a coverage standpoint. But even, like, that deep throw where he ended up diving for the ball, I just remember looking at seeing that play and thinking, this is going to work. So you didn't see a lot from the other guys. One thing I want to point out, and I, a, lot, a thing I got a lot of questions about this week is, uh, where's Devontae Parker? Um, I wanted to hey, see him yeah. out there. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, just because, I mean, he's an X factor for this team. I kind of like the fact that they, they're letting him rest, though, and I like the fact that they didn't panic with their receivers. Because I feel like some teams would have done that. Like, oh, get him out there now. Because I think that it's going to work with Kenny Stills. I think that it's absolutely – I mean, you already saw that it works with Jarvis Landry. That one play where he had three Redskins hanging off of him, and he's about three yards short of the first down, and he just drags the <laughs> ball past the marker, that is insane. Okay. That is not – I mean, Jarvis Landry is not a large man. And he looked like, you know, like a 240-pound running back dragging those poor bastards behind him. That was incredible. And if if someone isn't a fan of Jarvis Landry, or they think that for some reason uh, this team hypes them up unnecessarily, or he's overrated, just show them that play, because that that is a level of drive and commitment that, frankly, not a lot of players have. And that's why Jarvis. That's a big reason why Jarvis is so special. That guy is quite literally willing to do whatever it takes and that's what this team has lacked for such a long time. You think Mike Wallace is doing that? No way. No, Mike so, Wallace has so
1: decided uh, to watch Adrian Peterson push for three more yards and then help tackle him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I will say that because I watched the first half of that game uh, here on, um, on Monday night, and uh, there was that – first of all, uh, Teddy Bridgewater throws – like the most Lucky Charms-looking deep ball I've ever seen. I mean, that thing is just a high rainbow. But, I mean, it was accurate. He had that one where he, he threw it, and had it not been pass interference, I don't know, maybe Wallace doesn't have it bounce off his face. I'm not sure. I mean, it was in the back of the end zone. That was going to be a tough play anyway. But I had to laugh when he made that throw. And even though it was, it was was inter- it was the act of pass interference, how would just bounce off his arms and bounce off his face. I'm like that was so Wallace. And I understand that one wasn't really his fault, but I mean, give it time. I, I'm confident he'll he'll follow that up with uh, similarly similarly embarrassing uh,
2: plays. So,
0: hashtag uh, blame Panhandle. Yeah, course. that was a, I, that know, was a
2: dime of a throw.
0: Yeah, it was just such a. I mean, the only time I had with that throw is that it was just such a incredibly high throw. It's weird to see that much air put under a football. I mean, it works for – I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, that's always been the – I wouldn't say it's been a knock on him, but I remember when he came out of Louisville, a lot of people said that uh puts too much air under the football when throwing downfield. I mean, if you throw it accurately, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I'm ex- After watching that receiver core play on Sunday, we're talking about the Dolphins now, I'm excited to add Parker to the mix. I think that he's ultimately the match to the uh, the powder keg. I, I mean, there was limited throws to Kenny Stills. Um, you didn't see much from from Greg Jennings. I don't have a problem with that. I think that this is a a passing attack that's going to spread it out. That's built on strength and numbers. We've already, we've talked about that ad nauseum on this show. But whenever they're ready to add Devontae Parker to the mix, I think it's going to be a big deal. Especially with Jordan Cameron already out there causing problems. Because I mean, that was a delight. I was delighted to see that
2: on Sunday. That guy was. Everywhere. Yeah, I uh, I I know Matthews wasn't listed on the um, depth chart as a starter, but he got the the most snaps between he and, Stills. and uh and you know he, he's going to make those tough catches. He had that one; it was a drop. uh you know I watched it. it looked like he just basically he was ready to run before he got the ball. It, just, it happens. Um, yeah, and that led that led the to Washington touchdown too. So. So, um, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got the pass catchers. Now, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to work out when Parker comes back, who's going to lose snaps. I think they're going to rotate in, but I think one positive of this is they've all kind of bought into this, you know, you know, it's, to go off of the uh, musketeers metaphor, it's all for one and one for all. So, I think it's... Uh, they're going. They're not looking for uh, individual stats, or you know, it's whoever helps the team at that particular moment. I said, can he still get him more touches than someone else? And so be it. Um, I think Pennington is just going to. Uh, he's going to uh, uh, toss the ball around to whoever, and I think he's going to feed the hot hand. I mean, obviously Landry is going to get his, but you, I mean, you saw what it was with Jordan. You know, he's thrown to him. He didn't throw to him much in the preseason at all. I think he had, like, what, one pass in his direction? Yeah. Uh, I think he that was on purpose. Yeah, and, and so you had basically what was a training camp. And then they come out in the first game, and you could just see, he's like, yeah, Tannehill likes this guy. He's going to throw him the ball. So, it would not surprise me to see a game with Cameron getting, you know, 12 catches and, you know, 180 yards or some nonsense like that. It would be uh, because they're going to use him that way. I mean, that's The deep route that you were talking about. Number one, I think he I think he could have kept his feet and uh, still caught the ball. Looking at it in slow motion, it looks like maybe he took it. If he took one more full stride, he could have extended his arms and caught it without falling, without having to leap for it. Um, Either way, it's still good. But he ran basically. He was in the slot and kind of ran a wheel route outside of the outside receiver, and he, he toasted that defender. So.
0: Yeah, that guy's was a good enough. throw too. It wasn't per, a perfect throw, but if you're throwing the ball downfield and you're giving your your pass catchers uh, an opportunity to go get the football, I don't have a problem with that throw. Pretty yeah. good. And
2: that's what, and you want your receivers to do that because I mean, I've said this before numerous times. You you don't want your if you watch other quarterbacks, they have receivers that will go do that. Yep. Sometimes their deep passes are better, and they'll. Get a guy in stride, but sometimes they have to watch a guy go up and get one, or they have to a guy lay out for one. And we really, really haven't had that. And when you saw Cameron do that, it was kind of, like, oh, that's what that's like. Yeah, this is going to be good. I like this. Yeah. The, said,
1: the epitome of uh, the epitome. The epitome of the all for one and one for all um, um, state of mind for me, at least. I really appreciated when Richard Matthews tapped his chest and basically said that was my bad when he wound up dropping the pass. Lane. I mean, obviously it was his fault, but the fact that he uh, openly acknowledged it proved that these guys are not looking to pass along blame. They're not looking to say, look, why didn't you hit me here or why didn't you try to hit, throw the ball over here? But he said, okay, I should have caught it, my bad. That's the, that that That, for me, pretty much solidified that this wide receiver core is not looking – to watch out for themselves, they know they know when they know they know their job, and they're looking to make sure they do it. And if they don't do it, they know it's on them. Or at you know, least they acknowledge that but... they could have done more.
0: Yeah, certainly. And my favorite thing about Richard probably in that game, was uh, at the you know one thing I've noticed from him uh, as of late, definitely in the preseason, certainly on Sunday, is uh, when he's at the top of his stem and he's running routes, he's slippery how he just – he's real deceptive in how he goes through his cuts and everything, and that touchdown catch he had was the result of him just absolutely humiliating his, his defender. I mean, that guy just – unless he was going to grab a hold of Richard Matthews, there's no way he was going to be able to keep tabs on on him making a move like that. So I was impressed by that. I mean, that's, that's some serious veteran savvy. That's something you'd see from Greg Jennings. So it's cool to see that from Richard. And, I mean – again, I mean, Richard continues to fly under the radar. Everyone's so preoccupied with uh, Stills, I mean, not Parker yet, but I mean, Cameron, Landry, uh, more so than probably anyone else. And then people realize that, oh, right, there's number
2: 18. So, I mean, that's a great feeling going forward. And, and you know, we talked about you brought up uh, Mike Wallace trying to block for uh, for Adrian Peterson. And, and you know, we, there's that that gift floating around out there from the Jets game in 2000. Uh, I guess it was last year. Then where uh, Landry uh, came all halfway across the field to block for Damian Williams and and and, and uh, Wallace just walked off the field. Anyway, on that one big Lamar Miller run, everyone was downfield blocking, including Kenny Steele's. Unfortunately, steels couldn't really hold his block. If he did, I think Miller goes all the way because he had the lane and it was still a guy who. Uh, Steels guy who made, eventually made a tackle. But in any case, Steels was downfield, putting forth effort. When when the play ended, you could see Steels on the sideline. He was cheering because uh, he got pushed out to the sideline. He was cheering. He was exuberant that a big play happened. I mean, these guys are excited to be around one another, and it's not this me-first kind of attitude. And that's with everyone. So, you know, I'm sure Lamar Miller wanted more touches because he's an he's a athlete and he wants that, but... um I think he was you know, he's he's buying along with everything like everyone else and uh see yeah, that's just good stuff that you don't really notice that you've not seen before in previous dolphins games where, you know, the receiver the guy does something, the receiver just kinda of walks back to the huddle. And these guys are like I'm excited to play for this team. I love it.
0: Yeah, you love the culture. It's really exciting. And I, you expect it to continue to build as the season goes forward. All uh, right, we didn't get to really talk to Duke about uh, Jordan Phillips much, because Duke and I were uh, doing our little group message thing during the early part of that game, and when, when Jordan Phillips just absolutely tore through that Washington offensive line, and uh, well, all he could do was tap on um, Kirk Cousins because he already hit the deck, what did you think of that play? Because, I mean, that's... I mean, I think that was his first snap of the game.
2: That's a six foot six, 340 pound beast putting a cat-like move on a spinner who was basically turned around and watched him uh, if, you know, Kirk Cousins had the, the uh, had the right mindset. He saw that and it's like, I'm just hitting the deck. This place over. I was live to see another town because he had stayed up. He might have got crushed into oblivion. Um That was, yeah, I mean, you just don't see that dude that size uh, very often and, you know, they just a nice little swim move. Center turned around and kind of looked and was like, "Oh well," and that was it. So that you know, who would have thought that the first sack and only sack so far of the season would belong to Jordan Phillips? Yeah. Just so right. I guess
1: that I guess when I asked them, I guess I, when I asked Wake Vernon and Sue who was going to get the first sack of the season, that they were going to bet on it. I guess they all lose.
0: Jordan Phillips got their first. <laughs> Yeah, the rookies the rookies in there. I Duke, did you see the video that I sent you in the in that group thing is that that highlight of um of Phillips in that bowl game when he was at uh, OU. And there's that there's this one a, play near I
2: the end. A,
0: I for some reason never saw this clip. But the ball carrier bounces to the outside almost immediately after taking the hand off and you see just cuts right up uh, and takes off down the sideline. And you can see that the only guy who's pursuing him is number 80 for Oklahoma, which is Jordan Phillips. And he's, he's staying with the guy. I mean, he, the guy eventually gets routed out of bounds by another defender, but, but you're talking about, like you said, six, 340 pounds. And he's going down the field, like a, like some sort of lynx or one, one of those uh, hybrid cats that those weirdos <laughs> buy up and, <laughs> yeah i always see those houses that have like beware of cat and then everyone laughs and then like just this uh enormous saber tooth comes running around the side of it and everyone's like
2: oh my god <laughs> so Wait, what the okay. uh what, what was interesting about about phillips this game and i noticed this uh from some guys on twitter and i i watched um i, I watched the all 22 last night and um number one I can see why Miami's gonna get running a lot because they play an extra wide nine it looks like. Um it's really weird. But anyway, the um Jordan Phillips played a lot of three tech and you would figure a guy his size would be more of a one tech guy. They lined him up in the in the A gap there. Uh he's not uh he played to the outside of the guard a lot. Uh, kind of in that pass rushing role. So that was kind of an interesting yeah, he's maneuver. Bad for-
0: that's a great observation. He's fast enough to do it, that's the thing. And that's an incredible um, mismatch. If, if you have that guy go in one gap that with that with that sort of size and strength and quickness, that's ridiculous. And I frankly I feel feel sorry for Twitter else to block that. But I mean like so you start to get the you can get these ideas of these incredible hybrid types, uh personnel schemes that the dolphins can come up with with these guys in there the fact that you have someone as big and as fast as jordan phillips and you don't have to like you, like you said it perfectly you look at that guy's size and strength and you think okay well I'm, obviously he's going to be the he's going to be the one technique and if you know if we want to go hybrid maybe he can go notes for us no you can just go ahead and throw him in That you can just one cap him as a tree technique and just watch him go to town so if you think about it, in a lot of ways, it's almost like the, the Dolphins stole that idea that the, um, the Lions had when they drafted Nick Fairley because everyone was shocked that they, they drafted this penetra- penetrating defensive tackle to put next to arguably the game's best penetrating defensive tackle. So there's a lot of – whereas Earl Mitchell is more of a classic one technique or a zero you know, he can, he can definitely go nose. Uh, really, I mean, if you need a two-gap guy on this defensive line, it's going to be him. But you, just, you can get only enough... You can mix it up and match it any way you want, and it, it will likely be spectacular.
2: And, and interestingly enough, Namak uh, and Sue lined up at one tick a bit. Um, uh, quite a bit, actually. I thought a little more than uh, you would think, but I don't know if that was just what well, they had game plan for or whatever, but uh, they, they put him in a situation to get double-teamed a lot. Um, I think that was maybe an experiment. I'm hoping they'll go away from that and let him get back to doing what he does. I mean, as, as good as Phillips can be, I would rather see him absorbing the blocks and trying to beat double-teams and letting Sue get one-on-one. Um, I could spend a guy $114 million for, so that that was interesting, but, I mean, they're going to put them in the best way they can. I'm a little worried about the use of that uh, wide nine or wide uh, format. You know, I, I didn't really say Washington used it a lot, even in their nickel package. They were to the more traditional forefront. Um, But there were several times that, I mean, it was just, I mean, Wake was, was to me, beyond the nine spot. Um, and there was, you know, you could fit two extra players in between he and Sue, and he was like that all the way across the board, and I'm like, they're just invited, that the Redskins can run on them. Um, well, so here's the thing with that.
0: The one thing you mentioned, and I like the idea, first of all, what is the prognosis for Olivier Vernon?
2: I haven't even seen it. He, according to what the writers were saying today, he was limited in practice, but he told them he's not missing a game, so um, I think it was an ankle injury, but Okay, I figured it as much. I, I, don't think yeah. I don't think he's going to miss any time. Okay, well, the
0: reason I brought that up is because one thing I would love to see, if we're, if they're working with this hybrid package, it would be something along the lines of getting Phillips, Sue, and Mitchell on the field and turning it into almost a sort of a sort of Leo rush where you can go ahead and you can kick Vernon or Wake into that sort of wide nine span. The, the beauty of that is because technically those three in there can constitute a perfect uh, two-gap, uh, three-down lineman scheme. And then you're able, you can overload too, which is what the Seattle Seahawks and now the Jacksonville Jaguars, we'll talk about them in a second, what they do a lot with that Leo scheme is that you're using a legitimate five-technique as a defensive end. Uh, so it looks like a four-man rush with. Uh, with a pass rusher kicked over into a wide nine. But what you're really doing is you are just absolutely overloading the, the strong, the strong side.
2: They didn't with use, the, They could use Sue as that five technique there because I think he would, he would. Not absolutely. Not sure the I think that, they could use him as that, but they did use some of those looks uh, against Washington, not with those defensive linemen, but they did use some overloaded looks where, um, at one point, I think uh, Mitchell was lined up, I zero tech. He just straight up over the center. Uh, I think it was Faday was kind of more in the kind of the three spot. Sue was uh, kind of over in the three spot, and Wake was just way out wide. So they used some of those looks. Fide could probably do it because he's got the size, and he's six five, six six. He's probably about two eighty, 280, two eighty five now. So, I mean, he's got he's that a big boy. almost prototypical 5 tech size. They could use him in that. But, yeah, you could use Sue to that advantage because you're not really going to get much of a double team on the outside, and you're certainly not going to throw a tight end at him. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that. And they did use some of those looks just with different personnel, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the sky's the limit with a lot of these guys, although I'd feel better about it if I felt – uh, confident in the linebacker personnel as a whole. Um, you said it earlier this week. I'll go ahead and I'll pretty much say as much too. Not a, not a huge fan of Shepard right now. Um, I know what I'm going to get from BC and Jenkins. I like those guys, but I feel like that that final piece is missing. A lot of people think it's going to be uh, it's going to be Vigil in there. So what do you think? Because I mean, this is—I mean—you talk about Miami linebackers a lot, especially as of late. Because I mean, it's something where I either they get this diamond in the rough going here, or they're likely going to try to find a way to upgrade the personnel next offseason.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, you got what you've got in Jenkins, All right? And he's never going to be a big run, big run stuffing linebacker. He's your coverage guy. If you're expecting him to go in there and start crashing in your guard, he's not going to get off of that very well. Maybe he can do that a little bit, but he's he, he, he's solid. Not spectacular. Not terrible. He's just solid. The middle spot is a weakness. And I don't know that Shepard has the speed to cover sideline to sideline. I don't know that I'm he the instincts To get in there and crash plays. Um, I don't know what we have in vigil yet. Problem is, he was kind of like Jordan Tripp was last year. He's just right now not functionally strong enough to, to be able to get off of a block. And I've read some stuff about him that basically said that was his that his game is not the the uh stacking shed. His game is basically beat beat you to the spot. And if he can't beat you to the spot, he's gonna to struggle to get off especially NFL caliber linemen. So I don't know what we'll see from him this year you know, we, we're probably going to see more bad than good. Um, but at this point, I, I don't know why you'd want to waste time with Shepard when you've got a guy like Vigil, who, in my opinion, is basically the same guy at this point. I mean, they're not... I don't think Shepard stands out anymore. Maybe he can get off blocks a little better, but I think his instincts are lacking, so you've got that problem. But I think is probably more instinctive. You know, I, I don't know, and I think that it unless vigil shows something this season, I think that's gonna be a major point in the draft. Um I think cornerback is I'm 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 a little lower now on the offensive line simply because I'm we've talked about this, I'm thinking Billy Turner goes back to left tackle. his trained as that. Yeah. He's not a guard. Deal with that. Let him let him handle that guard. If he can't if he can't handle it, he can't handle it. But guard he is not at his point. So if, if you can do that. He can play he's left tackle. To to
0: in zone blocking, he can play left tackle. I don't mean to talk yeah. over you. I just want to point that out, that a lot of people are going to be like, yeah. well, I don't know about his measurables. As a left tackle in a zone blocking scheme, he's fine. So continue. I'm sorry about
2: that. Yeah, so he, he, he that would be my project if I was the coaches there. So that leaves, you know, looking at next offseason, you don't know who's going to be available in free agency. But, I mean, the prototype kind of linebacker now is, is less these – Bigger more physical linebackers and more of these speedy coverage guys. When I mean, you look at the best linebackers right now, if you look at um, keekley Wagner, Levante David. You know, they're smaller size linebackers. I mean, I mean, Lewis, you and I both saw uh, Keekley in person there and He's not a guy that you just walk up and say, oh, that guy's an NFL player if you just saw him on the street. He does not look like a big dude. Um, I mean, he's an NFL linebacker, so he is, but he just doesn't appear that way compared to – I got, say, Thomas Davis, who looks like a stockier built person than Keekly. But, anyways, so you need to have these r- kind of rangy guys with good instincts that can, you want the, the strength and the power there, but you need guys that can cover, you need guys that can, you know, that when you run these crazy plays like the Dolphins do with some of these misdirections, that they can change directions quick, get down and get across the field, sideline to sideline, and make these tackles and. Speedy running backs and whatever, so I think that's going to be a, a point they look at in the draft. Don't know really who will be available to them or who they would target, but there's some. You're names a fan, are you? I am. Um, I want to really watch some some uh, what Jalen Smith, Jalen Ride is it something? Like is it Smith from Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's that's the uh, guy I've not got to watch yet. I wanted to watch. Um I, I'm hearing good things about him. I, I'm hearing that this this draft should be full of good linebackers, so Miami should have a, a chance to make some picks, good picks on that. Um I think cornerback is still in need. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I read that Jamar Taylor I think someone put out there that he allowed seven of eight catches when he was in coverage. Uh Two of those were when he was in direct coverage. The other five were he was playing seven to ten yards off, and the guy caught the ball two yards in, and he ran up and made the tackle. One of those was that one play on third down where they tossed a little, uh, little screen to Jamison Crowder, and he got tackled for for no game. So I, I wasn't displeased with the way Taylor played. He had those penalties, which were kind of hickey-tack, and maybe if he was a bigger name, he would get those calls. Wouldn't, you know... But otherwise, I thought he did okay. Price McCain did okay. Cornerback is less of a need. But, yeah, right now the linebackers are just – they're a weakness. And especially when you play that wide stance, if they run up the middle, you need a guy that can crash, can, can get off the block, and make those tackles. if for three yards down the field. Our guys don't do that. And they make the tackle seven yards down the field, and that's, that's going to be a problem.
0: Um, we got about, say, a little under 10 minutes left. So let's go ahead and transition to what are your guys' expectations for this week? Because it's weird. I don't want to call it a must-win game. I think it's a must-improve game. I think that you want to see the areas that you expect to be really good, you know, the quarterback position, the defensive line. You want to see them sort of, you know, build on any momentum and really regain their footing because they're capable of playing much better than they did in Washington. So that's what I'm hoping for. What are your guys' expectations going into this week's matchup? I'm being cautiously so optimistic, optimistic, is what I'm hoping oh, so um, Go ahead.
1: After seeing Jacksonville, um, Jacksonville put up a good fight against um, their opponents the other day. I can't remember who it was. It was a Carolina. couple of weeks back. Yeah, Carolina. Um. The, I'm not. Uh, no, I don't mean week one. I, they were uh, going up against another team. I think it was Detroit in the preseason. Yeah, they they put up a decent battle. It wasn't like it was a total blowout, like we're we were hoping would happen with Washington. Jacksonville is uh, is better than we're assuming. Kind of like how Washington is apparently better than we were assuming, because I can't imagine that everybody on the Dolphins was just doing really bad that day. Because that would mean that we were in more trouble than we thought. I don't have a problem a lot with it
0: because... Trap games this week, though. Sorry to talk mm-hmm. over you, but I mean, it's just like I was watching the Green Bay-Chicago game. Chicago should not have been anywhere near close to winning that game, even though I don't think Green Bay is going to be that good this year. I think that some injuries are really going to hurt them. But week one is just the ultimate trap game week. you got a lot of teams that come out. Just, I mean, so much bravado and enthusiasm. And it, some teams really play over their heads. And I thought that – I mean, not to take anything away from Washington. I just think that that's the best effort you're going to see from Washington against a non-division opponent. Now, continue. I'm sorry about that.
1: No, it's, no, it's okay. In fact, let me ask you something. So, you don't, so you think it was just a matter of – we already discussed this earlier. We thought Washington was – I said Washington was going to ball out. Andrew Abison told me that they were going to ball out because it's week one and all that stuff. But do you think – are you at all worried that this might be a recurring pattern from last year about how they tend to the Dolphins tend to play down to the level of their opponents?
0: Oh, of course. Just because, I mean, until I see otherwise, yeah, it's I mean, definitely a concern. I'm hoping that uh, I, th- I would be – let's put it this way. I would be more concerned about this week's matchup had they blown away the, the Redskins. I think that would be a recipe for disaster going into this game. The young team – uh, you know, a lot of chest thumping when you really when you come off of a big victory. It was not a big victory in Washington, so I feel a little bit better, but no, it's a valid question and and frankly, uh, it's something that obviously concerns me. I mean, just think about when they thought they were going to back into the playoffs just by beating up Buffalo. You know, Fad Lewis and Buffalo, and we saw what happened there. So yeah, this team definitely plays down to their competition and that's something to be considered. So hopefully... They got the message last week that you know the teams aren't going to take off any plays against them, so it'd be in their best interest to to avoid doing as much as well.
2: Yeah, on the Rams so the third the third youngest team on average in the league. Yeah. So I mean, you've got these you've got these young guys. You know, a lot of them fresh out of college or don't have a lot of NFL experience, and you kind of have this you know when you when you play the uh you know the the weaker schools in college, you expect to get the win, and and you kind of have that well, we're such and such, we're going to win mentality, and that's not that's not how it is in the NFL. And I think that I agree with you. I think they got a rude awakening this past week. That all we've heard, well, and you know, you know these players hear this stuff, and you know they'll say all the right stuff, but you know they're like, yeah, we should be Washington. We're going to beat these guys. We're good, and then they come out and Washington really takes it to them. And if Washington were a slightly better team, they probably win that game. And so, um, you know, you've got enough. They've got some, some strong points. Of, I mean, we mentioned I, that before.
0: Their front seven is impressive. You know, Terrence yeah. Titan and Trent Murphy and Ryan Kerrigan are are certainly players to write home about. So, I, I mean, I, I think I was more excited just to see the Dolphins end of it. I mean. It, one of those things where you're not even really paying that much attention to the team across from them, and then once the game starts, you're like, "Oh, right, they
2: want to win this game too." So yeah. um we. Um, yeah, so I think I think you're going to. But go see what Jacksonville, I think I agree with what you said. I think if if they had gone into, um, they'd gone into Washington, and won by 20 points, I would be more concerned about this game. Uh, going in and winning the way they did having to kind of scrape out a tough win. I think they're going to, I don't want to say be more motivated, but they're going to understand, yeah, this is this is going to be a dogfight every week. There are no gimme's in the NFL, and I think they're going to take that heart. I think the coaches are going to bang that home to them. I mean, that's not going to, you know, it doesn't matter if guys like Sue or who have been around, but some of these young guys, Phillips, even Jenkins, some of these guys that have got playing time, just kind of, they're just now getting kind of their feet wet in the NFL. They're going, they're going to they're that lesson. Like, yeah, this is this is a man's league, and the guys that you're playing across from were excellent ball players. It's not great ball players in college, and they're going to take it to you regardless of what their record says. So, yeah, I think I think they're going to learn that, and I think they're going to, I think they're going to kind of button up and clean up some of the some of the the mess that they left in Washington. So. What do
0: you think the final score is, real quick? Both of you, your predictions, because we, we're winding down. We're about two minutes uh, out from the end of the show. So well,
2: I've got, got my the, uh, uh, my post will go up tomorrow, and I, I, I'm picking a closer game than people expect, and so I, I'm going to pick the Dolphins. I'm going to say
0: 23-20. Oh wow, okay. What about
1: you, Liz? Um, pretty much along those same lines. I'm going to go
0: twenty-four to. Yeah, I'm going to go twenty. I think the offense gets on track this week. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to go 31-17. So, yeah, I'm going to give them two touchdowns to victory. But I think that think that there's a lot of making up to do that they can do in terms of the offensive side of the football. I think that you'll see the um, the defensive line sort of uh, anchor down a little bit and write some of the, the mistakes they had last week. So, uh, any final thoughts you guys have before we wind this down for uh, tonight and this week?
2: Yeah, I I want to say that I thought for the I, I don't know how this has been in years past, but for an opening weekend at the NFL, I saw or read about more bad quarterback play from guys who are not bad quarterbacks than I would have expected. I mean, you we look at Ryan Tannehill under a microscope, of course, but Joe Flacco. I mean, he's not a great quarterback. He's not elite. But the guy's won a Super Bowl. He's a good quarterback. Has the lowest pass rating in the league. Ray Lewis won a Super Bowl, too. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) mean, these guys, these are guys that you expect to play better. Andrew Luck, I mean, through two interceptions, could have had several more. Granted, that defense was very good in that role. Yeah, I mean, but it was across the board. And then... You have a rookie who comes in and throws a perfect passer rating up in four touchdowns and gets pulled in the fourth quarter. It just it was just so weird. You know, you expect Brady the Brady's and Rogers and Mannings of the world to do what they do any given Sunday, every given Sunday. It wasn't like that. You've got these guys that you expect to see great things from and they just didn't do it. Just kinda I'm in. not gonna
0: jump I'm not gonna jump on the Mariota uh amazing bandwagon just yet. I mean, I liked him coming out of Oregon. He was my favorite quarterback of the two. Uh, the two things I saw from him on Sunday uh, was, outside of the fact that he's got an incredibly quick relief, uh, unbelievably decisive and accurate. And if he can keep that up, I understand he's beating up on Tampa's defense, although Tampa does have some really good players. Uh, if he can keep up that level of play in, in those areas, he's going to be pretty good. 'Cause it was almost astounding how quickly he got rid of the football on Sunday. To the point where I was just like, Wow, this is guy's first game. It was almost like the football was hot and he couldn't hang on to it. Like he just got rid of that thing in a hurry. So I'm, I'm probably really willing to say, say he's better than North
2: Winston.
0: North well, Winston looked absolutely awful. And I he is wind up. That's the thing. It's so funny the difference between them. I mean, Mariota just has this this incredibly quick release. And uh, Jameis Winston has this sort of, like, clock wind-up going on right now. So, definitely a tale of it's two that, quarterbacks.
2: You have that, that pitcher mentality coming out. I, I noticed that too. I watched a little bit of him play, and I was like, that guy's got a long wind-up. I mean, that's the first thing I yeah, going
0: to be a problem, I think. I'm never a big fan of the wind-up. I think that you got to get that thing up near your ear. <laughs> you got to go ahead and uh, it's that sort of uh, bring it back behind your ear and then rip it forward. So, all right, well, thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, sort of a short-notice show. We're going to start doing this on Wednesday so we don't conflict with the Thursday night games. On, I think they're on CBS now. And Tuesdays aren't a very good night for me. So here we are, Wednesday nights. We'll do them a little later from now on, maybe around, say, 8, 3, or 9 uh, Eastern. We'll find out what works best for Duke and Lewis. Uh, thanks to those guys for um uh, going ahead and joining me tonight and discussing everything that took place in the NFL this past week. So uh, for everyone here, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great night and a great week. Good night. Good night.
2: you listen to podcasts, check it out.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.